Welcome back, Demigod Pod fans. This is Camp Half Pod, the show where we break down the Disney Plus, Percy Jackson, and the Olympians television show. This is episode five, in which a god buys us cheeseburgers. Episode four of the show, but episode five of the the show. This is episode, this is, yes, this is episode (laughs) five of the Percy Jackson show. I actually went back and changed the labels on the podcast episodes. So the podcast episode says episode one and two for the first one. And so we can just label them the same episode number as the episode. Anyway, my name is Tyler. I'm Condra. And we're here to talk about this show. We're here to talk about this very episode. So. Which, did you say the name of it, or was I just not listening? The the name is something like, in which, like, a god buys us cheeseburgers. Exactly. Although, I think all the credits, all the the episode titles should start with, in which. (laughs) No, that's not how Percy Jackson thinks. These titles (laughs) are named by Percy. What chapter book series does the in which thing? Is that a series of unfortunate events That series of unfortunate events, yeah. Okay. Which will come up in this episode. Wild. Wild times. All right. We're talking. We're talking. We are discussing. (laughs) Are we focusing? Is that what you're trying to do right now? (laughs) I have no idea what I'm saying. This intro has gone horribly. But, okay. So we start the episode in the water again, and it's Percy sort of, it's kind of just whooshing water sounds where it's implying that Percy is exiting He's moving the river fast. that he was in. And then we cut over to Grover and Annabeth, who are standing outside <laughs> a burning St. <laughs> Louis arch. So sad. It did make me think, like, their cover's pretty good because they pulled the fire alarm, but then there ended up being a fire in there. Yeah. So it's not like they were, like, lying. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But then Grover is suspicious that the cops are looking at them, and Annabeth is also suspicious that someone is looking at them, but it's three old women on a bench knitting. weaving or knitting, as it were. And there's only three women knitting that we should all fear. The fates. I don't know. Should you fear the fates? I think you should be respectfully distant and overly <laughs> cautious. I guess if you see the fates, then it's you should not be a good scared. Thing. <laughs> yeah, as Annabeth later says, it's an omen. But the, the idea of fate, like, or of the fates existing, is like, well, yes, they they weave the the web that is everyone's lives, and it's like that's not something to be scared of unless you are just scared of the fact that there is an outside factor determining your life's path, which I suppose is scary in a sense. When you say it like that, <laughs> I think it's interesting that the fates are so heavily involved with weaving as is Athena. I just find it interesting. And that modern, like modern understandings of the fates, they're knitting. Well, I think it's easier to portray knitting. Yeah, knitting is easier to travel with. Yeah. And then a loom. Weaving, yeah. Weaving is, if not an outdated art form, an archaic one at this point. Hard to sort of express in the visual language although it is interesting to have a big loom and stuff um the other big weaver in greek mythology would be penelope odysseus's wife yeah well arachne yeah you have arachne penelope athena and the fates yeah but um the fates weave in a metaphorical sense (laughs) one might say yeah you know, there's all sorts of different depictions of the fates. I, I think the uh, the ones in Disney's Hercules are a little humorous, but not that interesting. Yeah. The ones in Hades Town don't weave, but they're great. I think the one thing I like for the fates in Hercules, the motion picture animated film, is I like how they tell their prophecies that I like they use the eye to project in and I think that's a really cool like concept because like sometimes it's just words sometimes it's vision um sometimes it's just them snipping some yarn they yeah they do do a lot of like yarn snipping in that but it's, it's no, they're not really portrayed as weaving anything no. they're just like oh we're ladies and we have scissors <laughs> 
Um, in the video Hades. game, in the video game Hades, the fates are mentioned mm-hmm. because they are daughters of Nyx, the goddess of night, but never portrayed directly in the video game Hades. We'll see if they pop up in Hades 2, though. Yeah. To be released at some point this year for Trials. Oh, boy. I'm trying to think if there's any other major depictions of the fates. I think we got them. I think we got all the big ones. I will admit, when I was younger, I used to confuse the Furies and the Fates because they are often- I think that is a common thing. They are sometimes both referred to as the kindly ones. (laughs) And that confused me a lot. Well, they're three women. All groups of three women are the same. The Supremes, the Fates. The witches from Macbeth. (laughs) I mean, I suppose the witches from Macbeth are- uh, yeah, they're an um, interpretation of that sort of same mythos. Yeah. So there you got you got the other one. <laughs> Darn it. I was, try- I was trying to pull the forest that comes to Dunsinane, but I can't remember it. Bur- Burnwood? Burnham? Burnham. Burnham Wood. There we go. Burnham Wood. Burnham Wood comes to Dunsinane and Grover and Annabeth come to find Percy. I was just trying to do a, a hackneyed well, um, segue. Well, I didn't get to introduce the fates. Oh, okay. I didn't realize <laughs> that the, the fates were being introduced. Okay. Who were the fates? So the fates are in no order because I'm not sure which. Okay. I'll do them in order. So fate one. I don't know if this is left or right or right. Till I, I got nothing for you folks. But uh, fate one is Joyce Robbins, who is one of the white faced women in the series of unfortunate events TV show. Whoa, there's that connection. There's that connection, as well as the Wicker Man. She, of the three, has the most credits to her name. Okay. The the second fate is Lanine Harrison, who is in her other big role is Motherland Fort Salem, uh, which was like a TV show a couple years ago uh, about witchcraft. And... So she's only got five credits otherwise. And the third fate is Cindy Piper, who has been in a good number of things, but nothing like starring. She is a, char- a named character in All the Boys I've Loved Before, the sequel. And then she was also a background character in Deadpool. Those are kind of her two bigger ones. So. Actually, what I what I didn't get to say about the fates yet was I like how they're sort of depicted in a little bit of colorful clothing. They're not yeah. all like spooky gray robes. Well, the weird thing is, so there's the, the weird fate, sisters, the weird sisters, which is they're also known as <laughs> in Macbeth. Uh, in Macbeth, and yeah, um, but the weird sisters, the fates <laughs> the also dri- the weird thing is the fates also drive a taxi cab in the Percy Jackson universe and the taxi cab is gray. Okay. And like the grayness of them is embodied in them in the books at least. We didn't see the Fates taxi here in the book or here in the show yet. So, um that that's a possibility that we see the Fates in a different way. And part of the joke is they have the one eye between them so they're fumbling through like Whoever's driving has needs to have the eye. Needs to have the eye, but doesn't want to lose the eye. Like the other, wait, uh, the other fate doesn't want to lose the eye. So it's interesting. I just realized I was like, oh, in Rick Riordan's like universe, we see them in different formats. We see them in the more hysterical means, a la Hercules, but then we also see them in the very foreboding, watchful weavers format. Watchful weavers. I don't love the inclusion of the fates here because they're so sort of omnipotent as a as a force of nature. It's like So if I'm remembering correctly, we see the fates at the gas station before Medusa. In, in the, the book. in the show or in the in book? In the book. If I'm remembering correctly and I'm not mixing up books right now. I can see how the book like has a little bit more to do with the fates because they're sort of weaving in little foreshadowing bits about like, oh, but our our destinies are decided for us. And that's also part of the thematic nature of the show, I suppose, and the yeah. books. 
I think we very but, much touch on that in this episode. But here it's a little bit like, oh, well, one of us is going to die soon. And then it's like, well, I'm pretty sure none of the main characters are going to die in episode five. We've still got three more left. So I don't know what the inclusion here was. Like, they could have shown the fates, but not shown them, like, cutting something. And Annabeth could have been like, I saw the fates. I don't know what it means yet. Do you see what I mean? No, I do. I do. I, <laughs> I think it worked better at the be- at the beginning of the quest, the way it was in the book, versus here, kind of towards the middle of the quest, when they've already gone through some dangers. Yeah. But... Grover and Annabeth decide to bug out. They don't want to get caught by whoever's watching them. And Annabeth has a feeling that Percy's still alive. I guess they didn't see him jump out. They were flaying down the stairs. Fair, yeah. A lot of stairs at the the St. Louis Arch. Luckily, they were going down and not up. Yeah. (laughs) So they find Percy. And this is one of my favorite moments maybe of the show so far definitely of the episode percy just sort of climbs up over this um railing plops himself down on the ground and says hi (laughs) and it is very like it's so when you picture percy jackson like that is him yeah just sopping wet but jovial yeah i found it I guess it wasn't right away that he realized he could keep his clothes dry underwater, but I think it would have been really funny if they'd have just thrown it in here kind of thing and been like, oh, (laughs) Percy can keep his clothes dry. And then they were like, but you just river. Here's the other thing that happens in this episode. For some reason, it it felt to me like Percy was taller. Was it the hug? Which felt like maybe a thematic thing that they were going for. Maybe he was like a little bit more confident standing up straight. Like, or it's his possible. dad gave him some height. <laughs> yeah. Here you go, son. In your powers, I've just given you. Because all you have height. to do, because all you have to do really is like f- move the camera angle down like an inch, and so you're seeing a little bit more of his shoulders and neck. Be like, oh, he got a little taller, and then everyone's a little lower in the frame, and he's a little higher. Which could, like could be something that they did. I honestly have no idea. <laughs> Might have just been the way that those two consecutive scenes, scenes were shot. So Annabeth goes up and hugs Percy for a really long time. It's kind of a surprising moment. It is because she had called him out previously on calling him friend, him about to say friend to her, and now she's hugging him. Wow! What does this mean? What does this mean? Twelve-year-olds having feelings, hugging. This is a lot. This is a lot. <laughs> um, but Percy Percy starts to apologize too. Like, sorry about that bait and switch I did. I I knew like I knew it was gonna be messed up, but you would have said that's no just Percy if being I'd have Percy. explained it. Yeah. Yeah. Loyal to a fault, that Percy boy. Wow, so true. And One then, might say. <laughs> and Grover gives the spiel about like, well, everyone's looking for us, so Let's maybe start walking. And that's what they do. Yeah. Percy finally dawns on him that they can't get a ticket anywhere if they're wanted by the police. Percy has a (laughs) lot of dawning moments here. And the gang is like, duh, Percy. Welcome to the club. Thanks for joining. Specifically, he's as as we cut to the walking down the highway scene, he goes, guys, I think this might be a lot deeper than we first realized. Like. The master bolt was an inside job, probably. <laughs> and they're both, and they they both look at him silently, and he's like, "Oh, I'm the last to realize this." <laughs> he's right behind me, isn't he? Yeah. Um. Yes. <laughs> um. But no, that's a good that's a good Percy Jackson bit. That's kind of like classic Rickery Orton. Yeah. And we've set this up, you know, emotion emotional intelligence is more Percy's forte, and loyalty and all that jazz. And Annabeth and Grover are the more thinky types. Indeed. Although I will say Grover's a good balance of the two. No, I think because Grover's a little older, a little bit more mature. Yeah. Which he shows off in this here episode. I love some of this Grover stuff that we get. Yes. Save it. But 
we're almost there because coming down the highway, what they think is a car is actually a motorcycle driven by none so, other than Adam Copeland playing Aries. Aries. Um, yeah, so Adam Copeland is a professional wrestler. He's got he is. WWF, WWE credits abound in his IMDb. Also a star of the History Channel show Vikings mm-hmm. and of the television show Haven. But Vikings is a pretty popular show. Yeah. Our parents really like that show. He doesn't have like a huge physique. Like he doesn't look like a wrestler. I like him as a Haiti, like as an Aries though. I think he's perfect. He is great as Aries because when he first pulls up, you're like, I don't know who that is. Like there's this kind of like wrangled looking guy. Well, I knew who it was, but. Is he like um, one of the more off the beaten path gods like Hephaestus. Or is he like a monster? There there are some yeah. other monsters that have some weird looks to them. Like, could he be someone being deeply covered by the mist? He's got these kind of buggy eyes. But over the episode, you kind of get a sense of his like raw handsomeness. Like yeah. you're like, okay, I get his I get his appeal. Yeah. Why Aphrodite is horrible to her husband. <laughs> Um, but no, okay. So we get this great bit where they're hiding behind like a highway barrier on the side, mm-hmm. and they're just like popping their heads out like they're little, <laughs> yeah, prairie yeah. dogs. Like, pardon, who who are you? <laughs> and then they'll dip back down when they're being spoken to, and then they'll pop back up for whoever's talking. Because Grover does it first, and then it's Annabeth. And like the second time when Annabeth does it, it's really funny. Yeah, <laughs> they're and just the, like. No thanks. So long. <laughs> <laughs> and then Aries calls him cousin, and it's like, oh shoot, who are you? <laughs> You're behind schedule, he says. And then he says to meet him at a diner down the road, but he's not going to give them a ride or anything. He's just like, hustle. You'll you'll get there. Hopefully, it's not too far. Percy's like, that's my cousin. Yeah. He like pulls the collar on his shirt and goes, oh boy. No, that's not what he does. No, that's not what he does. <laughs> humana, humana, humana. No. Okay. He doesn't make cartoon sound effects? He doesn't Why don't they make... make cartoon sound effects, Condra? Because they're real people, Tyler. Percy Whoa. Jackson is real. Whoa. <laughs> it goes all the way down. So they get to the diner and... There's a giant stack of burgers and oh a God, giant plate so of good. fries. Honestly, oh those God. fries just look to, so just, good. Just wanted to start shouting. And, and I was actually mad that the that Percy Nanavet didn't get to chow down on some cheeseburgers. Because yeah. I remember thinking, it was like, these kids must be so hungry. They're just like traveling all around. They have no money. Yeah, they, sh- they did eat in the book. So I guess lost for time kind of thing. It's like Dungeons and Dragons. It's like, am I going to make the characters eat or are we just going to pretend that they ate this whole time? Like, just don't think about that stuff. Otherwise, it just makes it all less fun. Well, Grover, we see Grover has eaten throughout the course of the episode because there's a stack of patties left on the plate with no buns. Oh, I didn't notice that detail. Good on you. Well, that was part of the book thing was like, oh, I can't like he was a little disappointing because he couldn't eat anything. And Aries was grumbly about it. I don't remember this Aries stuff at all. I remember a little bit about the the water park stuff or the amusement park stuff and the water ride as it came up. And we're like, oh, yeah, this sounds familiar. But this like this Aries coming in and helping them. Wasn't familiar familiar to me, but then I'm kind of remembering how this stuff plays out in the long run now. So yeah, we'll we'll get there. You mentioned earlier in the Medusa episode how they're like she's cook, she's supposed to be cooking cheeseburgers for them in the Medusa episode. Yep. Does Rick Riordan just have a thing with cheeseburgers? Like he might. He was writing these books in Texas. He might. Seems like one of them should have been pizza and the other one should have been cheeseburgers, just to appeal to all the 12-year-old interests of the readers out there. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> or bacon, or like something <laughs> something meme in the same way. Well, any way you slice it, Grover's not going to eat it. 
Wow. If it's got meat on it. That's a good butchery joke. Oh. <laughs> anyway, you slice it. <laughs> I've just been saying that a lot lately. I think it's remnants of Jungle Cruise in me right now. Okay. What's the any way you slice it joke in Jungle Cruise? Any way you slice it, you still come out ahead. Okay, yeah. It's an old Jungle Cruise joke. Yeah, they don't do the head salesman stuff anymore. They don't do the head salesman stuff anymore. <laughs> well, I saw an Instagram video of a Jungle Cruise skipper offering to give give the give the riders of the tour a Christmas carol. I guess it was the oh, Jungle Cruise. Oh, and yeah, reading the Christmas. And then he starts reading, reading a the- Christmas carol. The book mm-hmm. instead of singing, which is, I suppose, what they were expecting. So yeah. that's funny. Yeah, anyway, I saw that one too. Feel free to cut that. No. <laughs> so we're in the diner. Aries is laughing to himself because he's starting fights on Twitter, which is great. I love this little joke. <laughs> it's honestly so on point for Aries too. It's like, yep. I also like it when TV shows and media still call it Twitter. Twitter. <laughs> because mm-hmm. because X isn't a thing. No, no one calls it that. I think something that is not overly emphasized but is very subtly included throughout all of the Aries interactions is Percy especially is he gets angry. Like Aries radiates anger around him and people tend to become more angry just in his presence. And Percy Percy gets a little hot under the collar around him and gets frustrated more easily and mouths off a little more and annabeth mouths off a little bit too but that she's kind of known to do that i suppose yeah, yeah. um the but uh, the maybe thing that's to a funny point about, that's a little more dangerous though more than she normally would the thing that's funny about aries too is like he's so loud and if i was in this diner i'd be so uncomfortable with this loud biker guy <laughs> and these but you three can't do children. anything because nope. he's gonna fly off the hinge if you say anything which yep. is good characterization <laughs> yeah yeah so Ares poses a problem in that he has left his shield at the amusement park up the road. And in order to receive help from him, Percy and Annabeth need to go fetch his shield. So this is all a little muddled, right? Because he says, guys, your quest is going to fail. There's going to be a war whether you get the bolt or not. The, the gods just want to start fighting. It's going to be Zeus versus Poseidon. It's a done deal. And I'm on board for it. But also, I'm going to help you get... I'm going to help you get to Los Angeles so that you can maybe go see Hades, but you need to get my shield. Like, I get why he's just... I get that he's just using them to get his stuff back. And he maybe doesn't care about the Master Bolt and the war thing. But it doesn't make sense why he's helping them at all, I suppose. So, I'm trying to remember. Yeah, there's definitely confusion. Like, he wants a war because that's good for him. And he wants his shield back because it's his and he doesn't want to be bested by Hephaestus and it, because it's an inter-godly thing. He needs a demigod, demigod to do it for him. life, baby, baby. <laughs> well, I think something that's explained more is in the book is that like gods have a harder time interacting between each other they need demigods to like do stuff for them well especially and, if one god pulls the wool over another god's eyes like yeah then they don't Aries have the power to get yeah yeah so he's like i need you guys to get my shield because i can't get it myself and i'll do you a solid kind of thing like even though i think you're gonna lose and i don't care either way, like, I'll still help you on your meaningless quest. It seems like it's a big deal for a god, like a whole god to come down and intervene like this. Well, yeah, it is. And it's kind of breaking the rule. But as we will learn later in the series, there's a big reason that Ares is breaking this rule. Yeah, and I guess that's like, that's the the secret that like makes it all make sense. Yeah. Because his character motivation here is very obscured. You're like, this guy's a jerk and I guess he's using them, but he's also helping them. Like, 
There's a version where Ares comes down and he's be like, hi, I'm your cousin and I'm going to tell you that you're going to fail and I'm going to ask you to do something for me and then I'm going to screw you over. Like, yeah. if it wasn't sort of plot relevant for later, I I feel like there would be more interesting stuff to do with his character. Yeah, I, well, I think also something that's not mentioned is Ares doesn't like Percy because of Percy's treatment of Clarice. Yeah. And that's completely it, forgotten about. Yeah, in this episode, that he actually states that he hates his hates kids. His kids. He likes them better than other kids. He guesses, but he just doesn't like any of them. Really, he's not fond. And I thought a Clary's name drop would have been appropriate. Although I think we'll get some more of that in the next episode. Yeah, but uh, no, I I totally see what you're what you're going for though, and like it is a little weird. All that being said, like the acting totally covers it. Like the so guy who's good. playing Ares is really good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> quick quick comparison because I haven't um talked about this yet and maybe ever. Um the the lines of comparison between American Gods, the Neil Gaiman mm, book mm-hmm. and this book are weirdly are, are weirdly similar. Yep. They like, "Oh, a god is sneakily trying to set up a war for the benefit of themselves and sort of tricking everybody else into getting riled up just so that things can go their way and they'll they'll benefit from it. In American Gods, it's Odin and Loki who are kind of deceiving everybody because when people die in Odin's honor, that's just good for him. Well, I mean, there's also Good Omens, the Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett that have um, Gabriel being like, yeah, I don't care if you actually lost... We're we're going to war regardless. Like we need to blow off some steam. Yeah, but heaven versus hell, like, like that's kind of played for comedy a little bit. Like we're always gonna fight against each other. But the, but like, someone like really like, just abusing the fact that they benefit from fighting in the grand scheme of things. Like, it's interesting because I don't know. I feel like why why does heaven want to go to war? Like. Well, that's yeah. That's part of why Azir maybe they're not the good guys after all. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) No, but um, well, specifically with Good Omens and not not Good Omens, specifically with American American Gods and Percy Jackson, it's this like motorcycle journey, tramps around the country and see these sort of kitschy sites that actually have significance to a godly aspect of our culture. Yeah. I wonder if Rick Riordan ever read American Gods. Oh, I'm sure he did. He also writes adult books. And he was writing at the same time Neil Gaiman was. So I Well, like but but before he wrote the original The Lightning Thief, like I'm sure. All right. It's hard to say. Well, yeah, it is, but also Not everybody's read every book, like (laughs) No, but Neil Gaiman is big enough in the fantasy world and Rick Riordan probably had to do research going into it of like, all right, what else has been written? But the Greek gods aren't super in American gods. You get you get a Thor name drop. You get obviously the Norse gods. And the Greek ones aren't really there as much, which is interesting. Yeah, Neil likes the Norse gods better than the Greek gods. Cause even um in Sandman, there's more Norse gods than Greek. Yeah. And he wrote the whole Norse mythology book. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So Ares basically holds Grover hostage while Percy and Annabeth go get the shield. The shield. And we get a good conversation here between Percy and Annabeth over time where Percy's kind of Percy's kind of become more accepting of his his father's will. He's he says, Oh, my father's gonna help us when we get to Santa Monica. And mm-hmm. he's opening himself up to the idea of, well, maybe all along I should have been more open to my father and more open to this demigod stuff instead of being so, like, critical of everything. And Annabeth, interestingly, is on the complete other side of the coin. She's like, yeah. Percy's got everything figured out. He doesn't take this crap that the gods and the, their infighting and their pettiness he just tries to be a good person and she's really admiring that. So we get a we get a good good scene of the characters kind of like seeing each other's sides for mm-hmm. the first time and 
actually sort of arguing each other, which makes it fun. Yeah, and we, I like also in this, I like how we start to see Annabeth's, technology's the wrong word, but her mechanical abilities, I guess. So as a daughter of Athena, she has some crafting abilities and is able to see how things work in a way that's not always common for children of Athena, but um, she has the gift and it helps gives her more to do, basically. Yeah, I still think Annabeth's kind of drawn the short straw on a lot of her dialogue um, is rather clunky. And I there were one or two line reads in this episode where the young woman who plays Annabeth I feel like didn't give like great emphasis on the words or stuff like that. Like I, I, I'm still overall like really a fan of what she does with the character. She gets another good, like raised eyebrow moment in this episode. And you're like, I know that she is doing a great job and she actually has an understanding of what this character is. But for some reason, some of the line reads just don't click with me. I liked especially when Percy is explaining the Hephaestus story and the, their conversation in the tunnel. I thought it was really good. I think it was definitely a little weaker once they got to the statue. <laughs> and I'm sorry, I'm skipping a little here. But basically they find they're walking through a creepy amusement park. They come across the only lit ride, which is Thrill Tunnel of Love. And well, it's oh love, but yes, oh love, but uh, <laughs> they they get on and start going through the slow boat ride and down this dark corridor where yeah, it's kind of it's kind of a dank um, tunnel with just like gray walls and dirty water until the like side projector turns on and the music turns on. And I kind of liked the style of art that the like wall projection was. It was almost like shadow puppets. I was like, yeah, Condra is definitely going to want to ride this ride. (laughs) Just for the shadow puppets. But I thought the song choice was hilarious. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. I don't know who sings that song. Um, but while but while we look it up, one of my middle school science teachers had a had a, an electricity themed poster that said, "What is love, baby? Don't hurts me." And <laughs> it took and like when I was in middle school, I didn't I didn't necessarily know what it was a reference to. I was just like, "Oh, that's kind of funny. Like that's a reference to something." So that song is by Hadaway, H A D D A W A Y. Nice. Uh, but yeah, there was a little bit when they were walking into the park where Annabeth's like, go through that gate. Oh no, there's like gears that are made out of bronze, bronze that are going to hurt you, but then they don't. And I was, I, I honestly didn't like that scene. I was like, is there supposed to be drama here? What is going on? I can't really see what these gears are. Are they like about to crush Percy? Seems like he's just walking through a gate, but okay, whatever. I think in part it's to demonstrate that this park is not of this world and there's things wrong. Like, it's mythical. So, I think that has something to do with it. I also, that the things aren't what they appear. Like, it doesn't seem like it could crush them, but it could. Kind of thing. It's uh, It almost looked like a meat grinder or like a wood chipper kind of thing. Yeah, I, it was just hard to tell, like, how high up in the ceiling it was. Like, I I, I I could see that being, like, a cool theme park thing. It was like, oh, you go through the gate, but while you go through the gate, there's, like, a weird saw that, like, comes down and almost cuts you, but obviously wouldn't. Yeah. Like, that makes sense. I just didn't feel like they communicated that visually. Mm-hmm. But and we're in the tunnel of love. Yeah, well... They also, sorry, just one more quick thing. Uh, Percy talks about like, oh, how this feels like it's a horror movie. And Annabeth's like, I've never seen any movie. And Whoa, Percy's never, like. Never seen a movie ever. And Percy's like, well, if we li- live through this, we're going to fix that. Well, movie day. What should they watch? Hercules, Disney's Hercules. Oh my god, that that's like a joke in the in the books. Is like how bad that is. 
<laughs> um, oh, brother, where art thou? No, that's the next book, Tyler. Oh, the Odyssey. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but what movie should they watch? This is fun. I want to. This is fun. What movie should they watch? All right, are we. So they're twelve. So the like Incredibles, Minions, <laughs> Despicable Me. Yeah. No, or like FNAF. Yeah. I'm trying to think what my 12-year-olds are watching. Five Nights at Freddy's. <laughs> well, he's talking about With a Josh horror movie. Hutcherson. They could watch like The Hunger Games or something. Yeah. Um, yeah, whatever Whatever teen dystopia book. But yeah, I guess it, it would be funny if it was something that was also like in the genre of teen adventure, like tween adventure fantasy, like Harry Potter even. Yeah. Like, this is stupid. It's Harry Potter. There's no magical school of wizards. That would be crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Are you telling me that a bunch of magic happens and nobody in the real world sees it? Okay. Yeah. Do you think Rick Riordan read Harry Potter before he wrote the books? Tyler, I'm not even going to answer that question. Of course he did. He was a middle school teacher. Of course he did. <laughs> And a father, of course he did. So they, they explain so the that tunnel. Hephaestus built the park. Park, yeah. And that and Ares probably came here to consort with Aphrodite. Scandalous. Um, and Percy's like, that's messed up. And then when they're in the tunnel, they get like, um, Percy's like, I know this. It's a Unix system. I know this. <laughs> that's a... <laughs> That's a Jurassic Park reference. Um, but no, no he's but like, he, oh, my mother used to tell me this story. And Annabeth should know this story. Like, this is shouldn't be a surprise to Annabeth either. But Annabeth is listening very intently on Sally's and Percy's spin on it, which I think is demonstrating how she's opening her eyes and ears to this possibility of something different. And this is also where Percy mentions, like, maybe my mom shouldn't have... Uh, made me so doubtful of all this stuff and should have gotten me more prepared to be in this world instead of trying to keep me away from this world. And Annabeth points out, like, no, she was doing the right thing. She was trying to keep you out of all the squabbles. Yeah. They get through Hephaestus's story, and then it becomes the thrill part of the t- thrill tunnel, oh, love, in which they go on like a little roller coaster ride through a cavern that looks it's like a a Pirates of the Caribbean looking yeah. ride. <laughs> it's yeah, it's Pirates of the Caribbean where you're like, oh, we're just on a chill little boat ride. Oh no, there's a dip. But, but like it's a big dip. But they're just in a like they're just in like a boat yeah. with like no like guardrails or like nope. handles. Yep. This they're is just a sketchy in, like, amusement a little park, canoe. Tyler. This is a sketchy <laughs> amusement park. And they realize when they get to the bottom, there's a grinder up ahead that's destroying the boat. So they leap from the boat and onto a little island platform that's got this giant statue of Aphrodite, Hera. Yeah, it's it's some sort of fertility looking statue, honestly. That is holding the shield and there is a throne with peacock feathers all over it. I had the thought, interestingly, like, is there is there the implication that, like, the tunnel took them into, like, a magical world? Like, did they, like, cross into another plane a little bit? Like, They could have. it. They could have entered the labyrinth in some way. This is very different than the book. Uh, so I don't know. All right. Well, do you want to talk about the book differences here a little sure. bit? Sure. So a couple things. We find out Annabeth doesn't really like water. In this scene, like, she's like, oh, ton- first of all, they're like 12 and they're like, ew, ton of love, obviously. <laughs> well, yeah, then- she's like, you don't have to make this weird because he he said he made a comment about like, the, let's not make the fact that you hugged me weird earlier. And then now she kind of calls back to that. Like, this is definitely weird. Yeah. So as they're in the tunnel, it is not the throne that Hephaestus uses to capture Hera that is utilized but instead the net. So it's like a bed trap, right? It's like, Oh, Aphrodite and Ares are going to use this bed bed. and it's going to like, well, yeah. Yeah. They're in the tunnel and they hit a point where they, they go onto this little platform and they get covered by a celestial bronze net. 
that they're having a hard time cutting. And at the same time, a bunch of spiders come out and... Talk about Harry Potter. And (laughs) they realize they are being broadcast live to Mount Olympus through Hephaestus TV. Oh, that is interesting. Hephaestus set this trap for Ares and Aphrodite to show them in a compromising position to call them out on Aphrodite's infidelity. I'm sure Ares has a wife. I just don't know which minor deity it is. Yeah, it doesn't really matter. Hephaestus has set this trap to ruin their reputation for this century, basically. And... Percy and Annabeth are horrified because, like, their parents can see this and, like, it's, they're stuck under this net and it's really embarrassing and Annabeth isn't supposed to, like, be getting along with Percy because of the feud between Athena and Poseidon. So, like, the spiders that descend upon them and, like, shirk them out, they end up, like, figuring out a way to escape and, like, run out just in time for, like, the spiders to stop and... They're mechanical spiders, too, I'm pretty sure, because it's Hephaestus. But spiders are still enemies of Athena as well. Yes. So it's, like, this, like, overload of terror for them, but it's also, like, a little silly because it's, like, a net and there's, like, this TV bit and Annabeth figures out a way to shut off the camera, though, and Hephaestus, when they meet him, is like, oh, man, you ruined my fun kind of thing. But they do, they ride out on the shield. Yeah, definitely interesting. I, I like the idea of like the slightly more hijinks-based adventure in the book where it's like, oh, you know, you know, spiders and action. And the show does a little bit less of the like action hijinks for it's good reason. I kind of yeah. I kind of like the, I kind of like the fact that the show kind of goes out of its way to like be a little cheaper than mm. like a sort of action comedy series often might be where it's like, oh, there's like a little action scene in every episode. Like the last episode, we got CGI with the Chimera, but a lot of episodes we go for most of the episode without anything really be- having to be animated except Grover's legs. And in this one, it's just the gold that's covering Percy, which is a really well done effect. It looks it pretty was, cool yeah. because they save the budget for that sort of thing. Yeah. So I, I like that this show is not like, let's just throw a bunch of animated spiders for them to swing swords at. Like, that would be a little boring. It's kind of like, you know, the Hobbit movies where it's like, well, I didn't need that unnecessary action scene. I'd rather have something that informed us about the characters. And that's what we do get here. Yeah, Annabeth does not take Percy's sacrifice as the option. She's like, nope, I can figure out how to undo this. So... Yeah, they realize that someone's got to sit in the chair and get trapped in order for the shield to be released. So Percy offers to do it. He says, you're the strong one. You're the one who's supposed to be willing to sacrifice me. I'll sit in the chair. That's why I picked you. Yeah. And And he he gives over Riptide. I thought she was going to say, like, you know, this sword has a name. (laughs) Like, I finally looked at it and read the name, you idiot. (laughs) Yeah, I'm waiting for it. Because Charon also, was supposed to do that. Also, I don't know if this is the first time this has happened in a show, but did you notice that Annabeth calls Percy Seaweed Brain? <gasps> she does? In this episode. In this like scene while they're arguing about the statue stuff. I didn't even catch up on that. Oh my God, that might be our first Seaweed Brain. Yeah. Which is huge and iconic. <laughs> Yeah, a sign of their friendship growing through that gentle teasing that they do. Yeah. And eventually becoming a pet name. <laughs> because they're uh, that iconic. So. So. Um, Percy, Percy gets Annab- trapped in gold. Yep. And Annabeth, instead of grabbing the shield and leaving, is like, no, I'm going to get you out of here. And she starts fussing with the gears and a mysterious figure on a catwalk above her is like, what are you doing? You can't do this. And she's like, I have to try. He's kind of like steampunk Mr. Megorium. (laughs) (laughs) What a niche. Oh my God. Like no one is going to get that. I love it. 
And uh, steampunk Mr. Megorium is played by Timothy Omenson, who is... Pretty successful TV pretty, actor. Yeah, he's been in a running, whole um, Wrong-running supporting character on Monk. And Psych. No, Psych. Other, sorry. <laughs> Wrong basic cable show about a quirky detective. Psych. Yeah. He was also in Gallivant. And Mission- he was in Mission Impossible 3. And yeah. <laughs> his role in that seems to be important. I don't know. And a variety of Star Wars video games that he's done the voices in. So yeah, a guy maybe. who's found his niche. Yeah. And um, he's not just a random amusement park worker. No, no, no. He is Hephaestus. And he blows a little like um, pipe Pan organ pipe. thing that yeah. that Pan makes pipe. mechanical things happen, which I think is a pretty cool. Yeah. Hephaestus shows his hand that he is not like his Athena or Zeus who enjoy all the fighting. And because Annabeth calls him out and it's like, oh, your family just all fights needlessly and like makes things difficult. And he's like, we're not all like that. And he well, helps her. He draws the speech out of Annabeth first. He yes. says like, it's not how that works. Pack it in and go kid. Like he's trying to like, I don't know. I find it. I, I see both sides of it here because in one way it's like, oh, I see he was trying to like get her to give the speech to like have her prove to herself that she knows what she wants and who she is. But then he's also like, well, you know, your mother's going to be so impressed if you get that shield and you'll be a real hero. Like, it seems like he was trying to play it both ways a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's trying to get test to see who she is and how she fits into everything. But honestly, like, like the whole like chair trick and the fact that he like seems to be perfectly willing to put these kids into danger, like just says to me, like, no, you're just as petty as everyone else, but you want to pretend that you're not. Afterwards. Well, and I, I think that's what the net thing works so much better because it was not like he was never expecting Annabeth and Percy to be the ones coming through. Like he got hoodwinked too. So I think that's part of like where maybe some of it's not quite working is he's yeah, trying I think to it be. Worked, it worked for the characters of Annabeth and Percy. Great in this scene, but the whole thing about like the, some of the gods are petty and like to bicker, but, but I'm not like those other gods. It's like, unless they're trying to communicate, like, I used to be like that, and, like, that's why I built this originally, but I've changed over time, and some of the gods are are gearing up for war, and I'm not. Yeah, it's really unclear where Hephaestus is standing in all of this. Well, he's standing up on that railing. Oh. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course, I should have known better. But the idea of, like, a, a god trying to, like, tease out the honesty from someone... It's interesting. I, I mean, I mean, it's it's, it's very a it's Charon. a very it's a very like Christian God thing to do. Like, I'm going to play a little trick on you to see how faithful you really are. <laughs> I think Hephaestus is one of the more compelling gods throughout the Rick Riordan series. I think, I think what he does throughout the series is really interesting, and. I am a little confused to how this will go later. Kind of like if, depending on how far they go. Hephaestus is also an interesting like representation of disability Disability? in the Greek pantheon. And they show Hephaestus here walking with a cane, but they don't necessarily show any like physical deformity on him, which is often a a, a feature of depiction depiction for Hephaestus. I think that sort of like, intersectionality of it all, like where Hephaestus sees how cruel everyone can be mm-hmm. because he's been on the other side of things his whole life yeah, is interesting. And it, it would have been maybe something for them to do to, you know, sort of um, play into the, you know, identity of it all mm-hmm. with, with the Hephaestus character. It's fine that they didn't because, you know, you know, you don't want to tokenize or, you know, yeah, isolate anything 
too much, right? Just let you can let representation be representation. But it would have been interesting to be like, oh, I've been forced to be petty and I've been vilified because of it. And I don't want to I don't want to look like that anymore. I want to show that people who have been given disadvantages and treated like others can actually rise up to the occasion and show everybody else what the right thing to do is. Yeah. And maybe that is the subtext here, but if it is, it's It's very, very sub. (laughs) (laughs) So that's kind of the end of the the water world stuff. But there's a whole other side of the story that we haven't talked about. No, I know. I was going to say. So (laughs) the stories merge again, but we haven't talked about the other side. So Grover has been stuck at this diner with Aries the whole time. This has all been happening. And Grover's a little tricky guy. Yeah, it's kind of like a battle of wits. I love him. (laughs) He, yeah, he tries to get in Aries' good graces to see if he can get information out of him. Honestly, I one wonders like so. Grover does this, that does this little ploy of like you know, oh, I'm a fan of yours. Like these like small scale wars. Like I'm into your deep cuts, your mellower stuff, which is like a funny, funny way to riff on that. As someone who's also into deep cuts and mellower stuff. Wow. And I, I, I thought the little satire of him saying like, oh, uh, a war that happens really fast that burns bright and not a lot of people die is the kind of war I like. Because Ares is like, yeah, no one talks about those. But Grover's also being sneaky like, yeah, the wars that end quickly and don't kill a lot of people are the ones that are good, dude, obviously. <laughs> yeah, and he's also like, yeah, I also appreciate like, that nature is brutal and like can be relentless. Like he's like, because Aries is like, oh yeah, you're just a full of bun- you're a bunch of baloney because you're you're a satyr, you're a tree hugger. They eat tofu. <laughs> eat tofu, and Grover's like, no, I see where war fits in with with nature. It's it's just as brutal and ruthless and dangerous. And Aries is like, huh, maybe this kid has something going for him. And then Grover also does a bit where he sort of pokes fun at Athena. Is like, oh, she's always pretending she's smarter than you. And Aries is like, yeah, she's always talking to that owl. The owl's <laughs> not doesn't make her smarter. I don't have an owl. I'm smarter than her. Yeah, that owl stuff was really funny. It was like one of those like, oh, how can I put her down? Something silly and stupid looking. <laughs> And Ares gets really excited at one point. He's like, yes, you get me. (laughs) And it's just like, oh, no, Grover has woven such a web to trap Ares. Wait, the other Ares thing that we did talk about is he shows them a video of Gabe crying on the news about About how Percy's been so evil. Yeah, and about how he destroyed his car and he misses (laughs) his car, which does happen. Like, that is part of the plot of like the Gabe stuff happening in the background is, oh yeah, Gabe is also, so in addition to Percy being wanted by the police and the FBI now, in part- it's He's sort because, of become a news story. Yeah, in part it's because Gabe has put this other side to it and- Well, and Sally's gone missing officially. Sally's gone missing, yeah. And it's just so dang funny in the- in the book because Gabe like tried to clean up, but there's still like beer cans and just like the apartment's still a mess. And he's still like demanding things from people, but also <laughs> trying to appear sympathetic. And you're like, and Percy's like, how is this working on people? <laughs> but no, Grover is trying to tease information out of Harry's and he starts to be like, well, you've like, you're the God who found the lightning thief. And we got a name drop of the, Name yeah. drop of the lightning thief. And Eric goes, what did you mean by that? And Grover says something about like, well, does it really matter who, like, if Percy did or didn't steal the lightning bolt? Like, and this is where That's I was who confused. Zeus I- wants to blame. Like, why not yeah. just feed into it and just give Zeus Percy like he wants? This is where I was confused because it's clear that the episode like isn't giving us the whole conversation for the sake of Grover at the end being like, I know who stole the lightning bolt. But yeah. I was like, wait, I don't get how you got from A to B to C by this line of conversation. Yeah. And maybe I'm not clever enough to parse this out. 
I've never been a fast talker. I don't quite know how he did either, and I know the answer. <laughs> like, I get that he's trying to, like, you know, feed into Ares's arrogance. Yeah. And maybe not um, the most bright um, strategist or the most intellectual conversationalist from Ares either. But, yeah. It seems like things get real and then we don't see we don't see it when it gets real. Yeah. Which is really unfortunate. Be- Although I think a lot of this was added, so it's not founded in much, which doesn't But help. great to see Grover, you know, playing to his strengths as a Absolutely. character. Absolutely. Honestly, I think um whatever this actor's name playing Grover, I think he's one of the standout performances. Oh, absolutely. He's incredibly funny as sort of the straight man to both Annabeth and Percy, but also like he has his own like little lines of jokes. Yeah. He's so sincere and sweet and thoughtful. And he seems to understand like the, the Rick Riordan humor Mm -hmm. really well. So, Percy and Annabeth get back. They give Ares the shield and they're like, send us on our way. So he opens up the back of an 18 wheeler and goes, there's your ride. You're welcome. Which not quite, but yeah, (laughs) they more stumble into it because they're about to get caught. Like the Percy story gets played on a TV in the diner. And so they like sneak out and they happen to see the 18-wheeler with a bunch of animals in the back kind of thing. Ares's ride is... I, I don't recall a ride being offered. So what did he give them in the book? Did he give them anything, or did he just kind of mess with them? I think he just messed with them. Okay. But I'm so not, that's why I said, I'm like, not, in the show, it doesn't make sense why he helps them. But he gives them I'm a not, backpack. He does give them... Yep. Yep. The backpack is... De- <laughs> so maybe he did, like indicate that that was their ride but i also remember them like sneaking in and like not wanting to get caught so maybe a little bit of both but yeah they get a backpack with some clothes and some drop percy steps to aries real quick yep he gets angry he goes you think you know who i am if you keep messing with me one day you're gonna find out oh boy he's 12 and Grover has to step in to be like Thanks for your help. We're going to take you up on your offer. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> and when they get into the trailer, <laughs> Grover goes, do you have any paper towels? It's not that nice in here. <laughs> so funny. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, it's not sna- that nice. <laughs> yeah. Paper towels. <laughs> <Grover> <laughs> towels. His- Grover's tried his best. Well, no, he wants to be sanitary. But what, they're not going to throw the paper towels in the trash. They're just going to be like putting paper towels on the floor, right? Like, whatever. <laughs> yeah. So with the promise to see Hermes at the Lotus Hotel in Las Vegas, who can get them there la- on the last leg of their journey. Yeah. So Aries basically goes, you get in this, you'll get to Las Vegas. And then if you play your cards right, but Hermes sure. will help you get the rest of the way. And he specifically name drops the Lotus Casino, which, as you know, someone who's familiar with the book, seems like something that they chance themselves into, like by fate, as it were. Not mm-hmm. that they're like, oh, let's go to this specific place. Yeah. Um, but it it's sort of a place that sort of sucks in the demigods yes. and the magical people of the world. Yes. And I don't remember Hermes being like a guy that hangs out at the casino. Nope. I think this but, is just because it's Lin-Manuel Miranda and they needed to have him for more. But I see, I see, and sort of a, um, I mean, I suppose this is Roman literature, but in the way that um, Aeneas gets sidetracked from his destiny to sail to Italy in Carthage, and then Mercury mm-hmm. has to come in and be like, hey, don't forget that you're supposed to have this destiny. I could see, like, yeah. the, the trio ending up in the Lotus Casino and Hermes being like, well, wait a second. We're having fun here, but you should go. Yeah. Although that kind of takes away from the whole like self empowerment of the Lotus. Lotus Casino story. Yeah. But whatever. We're we're gonna get there tomorrow. We'll get there Not tomorrow. Next, next week. week. But did you like this episode? Um. 
Not as much as I was hoping to, I think. But I think I liked it better than the last episode. I agree. I think the last episode was too short and didn't quite have enough going for it. I think this episode had the better character stuff. We're finally like at a like an interesting place with Percy and Annabeth where they're not like arbitrarily not mad at each or they're not like arbitrarily frenemies anymore. They're kind of just like, well, we're friends, but we still don't agree on everything. Yeah. And like I said, the the like the reverse perspectives was really good. Mm-hmm. And then the dual storyline, Grover and Aries conversation and the tunnel of love thing. It it worked. It wasn't the most exciting episode, didn't have the best philosophical quandaries, but it got us to the next step really yep. well. Yeah. So absolutely. there we are. So until next time, you can find us on Instagram at amateur nerds. Or on Tumblr at Wildcat Minute. You can send us an email to amateurnerdspresent at gmail.com. Yeah, let us know your favorite casino in Las Vegas or your favorite amusement park. I'll talk about amusement parks all day long. <laughs> we don't have any artists or musicians to thank, so we'll just do our sign off. I've been Condra. And I've been Tyler. We'll see you next time in Las Vegas Lotus Casino. You can demigod on it. It's getting there of an ending. <laughs> <laughs>